0: hello and welcome back to another edition of ed choice chats and specifically our ed choice chat series cool schools this is mike mcshane director of national research at ed choice and today on the podcast we have don Seufer and ashley campbell of snuma the southern nevada urban micro school academy and i'm always always self-conscious when i say nevada because i'm pretty sure i'm saying it wrong and anyone who's from there will correct me it's either nevada or Nevada. Nevada is funny because I'm I'm from Kansas City, Missouri and there's a town in southern Missouri called Nevada. And I'm confident that that is not the right way to say it, but Snuma. We'll just go with Snuma from here on out. Well, anyway, Don is the president of Nevada Action for School Options. He's been a partner of EdChoice for a long time in the work that we've done to expand educational choice in Nevada, Nevada. Oh boy, someone's cringing. Anyway, and uh, Ashley Campbell is his chief of staff. So we had a wonderful conversation today to talk about this really interesting thing that they built that's sort of outside what Nevada Action for School Options does all the time. They describe themselves as a kind of action tank that supports the growth of school choice, of diverse choices, rich, high quality, and personalized educational opportunities. But when the pandemic struck, they moved kind of from advocacy to actually operating a school. Well, look, from Facebook, here is how snuma describes itself it says established in 2020 by the city of north las vegas the southern nevada urban micro school academy snuma is a free innovative micro school program for north las vegas families and children of first responders that provides safe in-person learning opportunities with individualized lesson plans for children's in grades one through eight snuma provide students with access to nationally recognized online educational resources by grade level in small learning pods with a teacher that supports customized lesson plans for each student. All curriculum follows Nevada academic content standards. Classrooms are capped at 15 children. SNUMA follows SNHD and CDC best practices and abides by all directives from the state, including mandated face coverings, socially distanced seating, and frequent cleaning and sanitizing of classrooms and facilities. So this started with the pandemic, and as we will talk about, sort of evolved and changed while that was going on and is going to continue now that the pandemic is hopefully starting to wind down. It was a great conversation. I think you all are really going to enjoy it. So here's my conversation with Don Suifer and Ashley Campbell of SNUMA. All right, SNUMA, tell me about how SNUMA came to be.
1: Two weeks before start of the last school year right in the middle of the pandemic it became very very clear that the clark county school district the fifth largest in the country was not going to open and was not going to provide a place for kids to go to conduct their schooling at school during the day the city of north las vegas has had a long decades long relationship as being somewhat of the redheaded stepchild within the large Clark County School District. Its schools have been under-resourced, their children have underperformed. It's frequently the place that the lower performing administrators and educators sometimes get rotated. You know how that works in a large school district. So the leadership of the City of North Las Vegas did not in any way feel responsible to be bound to be part of the Clark County School District plan if that wasn't going to best serve their families, so we were in talking to them about some other topic entirely. I think it was a charter school question. And as we heard their hopes and dreams and what they wished that they could do for their residents so that they could get their residents back to work, with the idea of establishing a micro school in their rec centers and libraries that could serve their families outside of all of the current establishment for public schooling, open for their residents that they could then fund in ways that would be low cost or low cost for their residents or families that work in North Las Vegas and also emergency workers, first responders across all of Clark County. North Las Vegas is the lowest income, fastest growing municipality in Clark County in the state of Nevada. And we knew exactly what we wanted to do. We went home, worked through the night, walked back into their office the next morning with two thick briefing books with our plan to launched partnership micro schooling in Nevada and the rest came from there. So was it a
0: tough sell? Was it an easy sell? What were some of the, like the questions that they asked when those briefing books showed up?
1: Well, number one is, can we really do this? I mean, the ideas sort of come about, but can we actually provide the schooling needs of our families? We're not a school district. We don't have levels and levels of administration and backup and back office and backup plans. Can we really do this as thin as micro schooling is described? And we did that. So Nevada Action and Ashley and I led the program and we didn't charge them for our time and we were the quality control in the program. And we can talk about this a little bit but I've done a lot with personalized learning in different settings around the country and I was able to bring from that the two things that mattered most are number one is just make it a commitment to continuous improvement and constant iteration because the decisions you make before you start might not be the way you can really serve your family as the best so be nimble enough to be able to do that and do that in a way that matters. And number two is to really shift to the active learner paradigm so that your kids no longer know that if they just go and sit in their seats and get measured you know the wrong end of the kid gets measured for the amount of time that they've spent in their seat in the school year to advance that every decision they make in in that day is going to really matter and their learning is in their own hands and if we can accomplish both of those things we can make it work so it was a radically new way to do things for everybody involved and there was some hesitancy there was some pushback the school district partisans when they realized that we were going to do something that families would need to disenroll from the school district and be homeschoolers to do caused some heartache and some political pressure but from day one everybody involved was rooting to do this it was an active partnership we weren't just hired to do it but we were partners with the city in a very active sense every day and everybody came in looking to do something new that mattered and, and that feeling was prevalent and permeated everything we did
0: for sure and that's great to know that was a good question that was coming down the pike was that the students for the state's perspective are homeschooled or they are identified as homeschooled classified as homeschooled and this is classified is it sort of thought of as an enrichment program is it daycare or child care like what's that kind of like regulatory structure
1: well the city of north las vegas did run a before and after care program and continue to do that because they wanted their families so many of our families were single parent families, non-traditional families, kids raised by a disabled grandparent. North Las Vegas is lower than average income in Clark County, which is not high to begin with. Kids who were living in a one room with four or five members of their family or, or in a hotel room, it was important to, the city to get them back to work and let them do what it was that they're going to do. So, you know, the beauty of microschooling, right, is that you can really focus on the learners and the families and create something that meets their needs and build it that way. So we knew it needed to get kids at a place that they were safe during the day, every day. We knew it wanted to be a pretty highly structured program. So it was maybe more structured than people are used to seeing microschools. Free breakfast and free lunch for every kid, every day. North Las Vegas and Clark County got hit really hard during the pandemic. So the health safety rules were real important and really defined what we did. For health safety reasons, we had to adhere to all of the health safety mandates. So we were required to be 18 kids in a classroom tops. For teaching and learning reasons, we were able to get 15 kids, which is again, a learning environment everybody wants, especially in Clark County where there's so much overcrowding. So those decisions that we made and the fact that they were really rooted in what the families wanted and what the community wanted and the individual learners, you know what could work for the individual learners, or a reason that this was set up to succeed from the beginning. And if we just pulled something like so many educators or education people in America, they would love to have a rocket ship school or a, or a mastery or a summit. And they pull what works you know, in other jurisdictions. And microschooling, it really has to come from what your needs are, your understanding of your learners and the relationships you build from that. And that was a big reason for the success that we had.
0: Well, i'm glad you brought up your learners because i'm interested in sort of how did you identify and recruit the students to participate in the program
2: so originally it started with the city of north las vegas sending out an email to their residents and letting their residents know about the program and then it was a lot of conversations that don and i had with these families it was a new program and a new idea for the families so there was a certain comfort level that they needed to get to before they felt confident enough in pulling their child from the school district and putting them in, you know, in a homeschool program with us. So lots of time spent talking to our parents and really getting to know them. We started small with the first semester and then as families kind of transition from we just need a safe place for our kid to go to, wow, my child's really excelling in learning care in ways that they never have before. Our family started talking to other parents about it and telling them hey this is where you need to put your child and at the second semester we more than doubled our numbers
0: and so maybe to sort of help listeners get an understanding of what we're talking about here could you just kind of walk through like an average day like from the perspective of a student
2: yeah absolutely so as dawn mentioned you know we were a little more structured than what you typically see with microschools, because our families needed to go to work they needed a full day program And also, as I talk about the comfort level with the families, it really helped to be able to tell them that we were matching our program to the academic content standards, the Nevada State content standards, so that if they chose to go back to public school the next year, they would know that they could transition back easily. So that really helped the comfort level also. So kiddos would get dropped off in the morning. The city had a really great before and after program, so they could get dropped off as early as 6.30. And because it was during the, you know, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, kids stayed with their individual group. So we had groups of first and second, third and fourth, fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth grades. So if a kiddo got dropped off early, even if there was only one other child in their group, they were still just there with that one kiddo so that we did not mix groups for health safety reasons. And then when the academic day started, our learning coaches came in. They did a combination of whole group and small group instruction, as well as personalized learning that took place with software on the computer. So the kids received you know, instruction in math, social studies, science, literacy, as well as fun enrichment programs. It was a full day program. They did novel studies. They experienced a lot of really rich discussion-based learning. So that was a new thing for a lot of our kids. And it was really great to see them start to realize that what they were saying had value and and what their classmates were saying had value as well, to really be able to listen and have that give and take and the conversation was really exciting to watch that transition happen and then the city also provided breakfast and lunch so that was available during the day for our kiddos as well and their rec staff would come in at lunchtime and oversee lunch with the kids and then they would also take them to the gym so they would get an hour in the rec center gym to play socially distance games and have a chance to get some of their wiggles out before you know coming back and having the rest of their academic day
0: I missed a question I should have asked earlier, but the where. So
1: where were these classrooms? The city of North Las Vegas operates two rec centers, two community rec centers that are full-on buildings with classrooms and gyms. One has a senior center, and they have. Uh, we operated in a library. So libraries were completely closed during the pandemic. So our first and second graders had the run of the place all to themselves to run around the library, which is was so great for those kids. Awesome. So, I mean, <laughs> that sounds like a great time.
2: I, yeah, I have to add, as somebody who libraries are near and dear to my heart, I, it was exciting for me to see that this brand new generation of kids that maybe don't typically go to the library really develop a love of the library while they were there.
1: And the fact that the city, I mean, partnership right for schooling, to me, is is vast potential. And the fact that we were able to do this so inexpensively had to tie in this assets that our partner, the city, already had. So they owned the buildings. They had staff in the buildings. They have an IT department that had old desktop computers. So those took some of the big ticket items. You know, their staff didn't do the teaching and learning. They contracted us to do that, but they did manage morning drop-off and afternoon pickup and keeping the buildings clean. And obviously during a the pandemic, there's an awful lot that you have to do for, for maintenance to keep health safety intact. And we had an IT department that could help us when the computers broke. So Using a partner that had those things as we talked to like employers or or libraries or other municipalities, being able to leverage the assets that they had really let us do this thing and put the resources into what mattered.
0: Well, since you brought it up, I feel more comfortable asking you about money. So this sounds awesome. How much did it cost? Where did you get the money from? How did that all work out?
1: So the city hired, and I think what was so exciting about this as an education model moving forward. The city, outside of all education funds, through a straight municipal services contract, hired our nonprofit to run the teaching and learning, to run the microschools, and be responsible for the operations every day. It was an active partnership, though, and so so the city was responsible for the the functions that, that we just mentioned. And, you know, you have to sort of price those, right, because the city already had an IT team. But all in, the overall cost by anybody's best estimate was about a third of what per pupil funding in the Clark County School District is. So just a hair above $3,000 a kid. And we'll get to the academic results, but they were phenomenal. And it was learning gains and just schooling, right? Just the relationships with families, they never want to go back because they had a relationship with their schooling and a level of control and involvement with it that they just had never had the opportunity to. To have before for again a far less than than per pupil funding which makes it sustainable
0: sure and there's so much in there of what you've said but i want to go back to something ashley you were talking about you mentioned the learning coaches so i'd be interested how did you recruit these folks did you do professional development with them
2: how did that all work so our learning guides came from a wide variety of backgrounds which was really beneficial for our program we had everybody from veteran teachers who had been you know teaching in the school district for 20 years we had previous private school teachers at one of our just amazing rockstar learning guides was a retired catholic educator and then we also had some of our interventionists were coming to us currently going to schools to be an educator so we had that wide variety of backgrounds and yes professional development was something that was really important to us and something we really wanted to make sure that we got right, because this was a brand new way of teaching and learning that our learning guides had not been familiar with before. And so making sure that they really understood what we were doing, why we were doing it, and the importance that their role was, that was really crucial to us. And I, I have to say, I was really excited about it. One of our teachers at the end of the program who had taught for over 20 years told us that it was the best professional development that she'd ever received. So that was really exciting to hear.
1: That's great.
0: And how many students did you serve or are you serving currently?
2: Yeah, We ended the year with roughly 100 kiddos.
0: That's great. So now, Don, you mentioned it, but a, a question that I often ask on this podcast is sort of, how do you measure success? How do you know that what you're doing is working? So I will ask the question, how did you all measure success? How do you know that what you're doing is working?
1: So much of what you read about pandemic pods and microschools but you know, is sometimes raises more questions than it answers in terms of are these effective, are they equitable? So we wanted to make sure that everything that we did was both of those things and measurably so. And part of that was political, right? Because we had everyone in the city of North Las Vegas who was approaching us to do this work was an elected Democrat. And we really wanted to make sure that we were gonna be able to, they were gonna take some political heat for, for doing something so outside of a school district that's uh, such a major employer in their community and in the, in the county. So, we wanted to make sure that it was measurable from day one, and so many of the kids were going to be coming to us so far behind. Remember, when you're talking about a first grader who hasn't been in school for so much of of the year before, these are kindergartners that had a few months of of kindergarten, and especially the older kids, many of whom had been retained already. On the very first days of the program, we measured that three quarters of our kids were at least two grade levels behind academically and to do that we used the internal assessments that were in the digital content that we chose and we chose we chose deliberately so a lot of that was Lexia and a lot of that was was DreamBox so these are the internal assessments and the way you know the world of assessment right so we got some questions about is it apples and or oranges comparing our results to other people because our kids did not take the state test and we could have used something like NWEA MAP Mike, you know from so much education research, different assessments, it's not just a matter of integrity of assessment and including all kids, but they measure differently. But we really believe that micro schooling can measure and can measure growth. So when we did that, we knew that our kids were gonna be all over the place. So we wanted academic growth to be important to us. And we promised, we stuck our neck out and promised the city that we could guarantee 125% academic growth. These kids would gain 125%. And if you look at that compared to the highest flying charter schools, the masteries, the rocket ships that everybody is dying to have in Nevada can't afford, that would compare pretty favorably. And the results were really left out in the dust. So the kids that we had for the whole year, and, and we had other gains for kids that joined us mid-year, but for kids that we had all year, 100 percent of them achieved a full year's worth of academic growth in the L.A. literacy, and 87 percent posted two-plus years of academic gains in the one school year that we had. And in math, it was comparable with 35% accomplished two plus years of academic growth in math. And for the kids that joined us midway through the year, we had a lot of growth at the semester break and we took kids throughout the school year. It was a pretty comparable trajectory. Once kids got the first three, four weeks behind them of how to adjust to this pretty radically different learning model, which, you know, in, this, in schools of choice, that's, those are pretty radical student outcomes. and compared very favorably to what the student outcomes were as opaque as they can be in something like the clark county school district for the schools that were the home schools for these kids previously in north Las vegas
0: i was gonna say and it's a, an important compared to what question comparing them to what they otherwise would have received during that school year which is you know wasn't probably as strong as even they had received previously in years earlier, and so that that sort of raised some questions about like the future so obviously like the genesis of this program was to to meet the needs during this sort of lord willing once in a generation cataclysmic event but families liked what was going on there What's happening so what does the future hold is we're recording this in early august of 2021 is there going to be a new school year of snuma
1: students this year the new school year starts on monday all right And it's up and going in the same facilities. So I mentioned before, we really donated our time for running it day to day in year one, and we've got a movement to build. So we're coming back to our jobs. We've been serving in an advisory capacity, but the city has new operators—a charter school network out of Texas that's looking to expand into Nevada. PTAA, which is a proven, you know, serious network with a STEM-based focus, is the operator. They're recruiting families. Most of the families we served never want to go back to the traditional relationships with their school district that they had had. they imagined that micro schooling was possible. But they're recruiting new kids. It serves grades one through eight in North Las Vegas, and the city is committed to keeping this thing going. And our involvement in an advisory capacity, this group is going to hit the ground running. And on on Monday, micro schooling is going to continue for this school year and and hopefully forever in in North Las Vegas as a better way of doing things. And the city's
0: just going to pay for it. They are. Is that coronavirus money? Is that just out of the general funds of the city? Like, where are they finding the money for it?
1: So it is a municipality. So the city council and the mayor had to get together on a budget and and go through. And there's going to have to be a combination of the federal rescue package has some non-education municipal and government funds that are definitely going to go into it. But the city is going to have to find other and additional resources, including applying for grants. The forward-thinking leadership of North Las Vegas is what you want in a municipal government, and they're fully capable of doing that and keeping things on track. So they're going to have to be creative to keep it going. But again, it's such a great deal for far less than per pupil funding that they're committed to demonstrating to their community that they can do something better.
0: You know, you mentioned a couple times the belief of families that they're just they don't want to go back to their old schools. I was wondering if we could kind of tease that out a little bit. So, like, what is that experience that was different? How does it compare? And how did it sort of spoil them that they don't want to go back to a traditional school model?
2: So our families, as we really uh, got to know them and you know, took time to answer their phone calls and talk to them about their kids, we learned a lot about what they had gone through in previous years in the school system. And I think one of our parents put it best when she explained to me, for years I've been told that there's something wrong with my child and that she's not on grade level, but nobody's ever told me how to fix it. And she said, "You know, now with you guys at Snuma, you're showing me where she's at. You're showing me where she can be by the end of the year, and you're showing me how to get her there. She said, nobody's ever explained that to her before what it'll take to get her child to be on grade level. And that really made all the difference to her. And we had countless other stories that echoed to that same thing of their child just feeling forgotten, kind of, you know, <laughs> you're sitting in a classroom with a lot of other children in an overcrowded classroom, and there's just not that individual attention. And here, all of our learning guides knew each kiddo we knew what was going on. we knew if you know mom was out of town for the week, that kiddo might be having a rough week and so we adjusted their learning goals as needed and they just have not ever had an individualized education experience before and so many of them want to continue that they've seen the progress that their child has made and they want to continue that progress throughout the rest of their academic career.
0: Now Don, you had mentioned from your previous experience in personalized learning others this idea that it's got to be an iterative process. You've got to try stuff. You, you know, you make some assumptions, you try them out, some sink, some swim, you, you have to keep moving. So now that you have had this whole experience, and, and this is a question to both of you, it was just sort of Don, what Don said prompted it. But I would love to know if you've learned some lessons. So in the process of that iteration stuff you did that was like, oh, that didn't work. And then you found stuff that made it work better. So looking back and and maybe both of you should have the chance to answer this, like looking back on this past year and change of of this experience, what are some lessons that you've learned?
1: Yeah, so it was fascinating, and that was very much 1.0, and I can't wait for 2.0 and 3.0 to to apply those lessons. Just to give you a few of of the important ones. From day one, we were committed to not having an attendance policy and not having a discipline policy, because this is, after all, homeschooling support. We were maybe a little bit overly optimistic in the ways that we could make that work. We wanted to have a behavior plan. And at the end of the day for, for kids, maybe we'd be that up a little bit. We learned as we went that so many of our kids couldn't put together a, a cogent sentence or paragraph. So we added writing interventions and really took that seriously, particularly at certain grade levels. We added a lot of learning intervention. This, this was during the pandemic. So we needed to have a, a policy for our grownups that if they didn't feel well, they didn't come in. So we were able to fund a pretty robust team of learning interventionists because we wanted to have every learning interventionist meet with every kid in in literacy and math. But they were also our substitutes. So having a team that could work together well, and we had to do a lot of management by walking around and making changes, making some personnel changes, maybe changing people's roles. But by the end of the school year, attendance was such that we were able to add full-time music to the program because suddenly we had the staff that we could put into that. So there were were a lot of constant iterations. We had to supplement some of the digital content that we used early on. We found different ways of leveraging. uh, Maybe Ashley can better talk about the goal setting process for each kid and the tracking, but it was a great learning experience. And by the end of the year, it worked pretty well.
2: Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways that I learned from it, we also just really focused on a timely feedback loop and didn't do the traditional letter grades. That worked really great for all of our kids except for one particular group we found with our fifth and sixth grade kiddos. I think had we started out doing letter grades, it might have worked a little better with that group in the beginning. By the end of the year, they had completely bought into the feedback loop. They were loving it. They were engaged, and the growth that they had was really exciting. But at the beginning, there was a lot of oh, I don't have a great kind of mentality. And that took a little while to get over. So I think maybe switching that up. Our seventh and eighth graders, they were older and they had you know, also been in the system. So I thought that maybe they would have that same kind of, of attitude towards it. But they really picked up on the feedback loop right away and the importance of it and really enjoyed getting that valuable feedback from their learning guide and interventionist and you know, discussing it with them. And our younger grades, they took to that immediately. But yeah, fifth and sixth was a little trickier to get their buy in. But once they did, man, they, they took off and they were great. Don mentioned our goals. So we set goals for each child each week and they were individual goals. So it wasn't like a blanket. We want everybody to do this many minutes on their, you know, digital learning program this week. We looked every Sunday night, Don and I would sit down at a kitchen table with all of the kids information in front of us and see where each child was at. Talk about the kids circumstances in their life that week, what was happening at home where we thought the kid could be by the end of the week. And then we would have those conversations with the children. We would go in and say, all right, here's what we're looking at. Here's how many units you need to do between now and the end of the year. Here's how many weeks are left until the end of the year. What do you think? This is the number we sat, what what do you think? And it was so great when so often they would look at me and say, Miss Ashley, I can do more than that. And um they really watching that shift in their attitude and knowing that the decisions and actions that they were making each day mattered was really exciting.
0: So I look at the, you know, a map of the United States. There are a lot of other cities there. I would imagine that they have rec centers. I would imagine that they have IT departments. I would imagine that many of them actually have quite a bit of coronavirus funding that came there. So the big question I want to ask is, why aren't there SNUMAs everywhere? And now it could be possible that there are similar programs that I just don't know about. but. Maybe a first bit of getting into that question is, did folks from other cities reach out to you? Did they hear about this and say, hey, we'd like to try it? Or was this something that folks didn't necessarily have that interest in?
1: Thanks to you, Mike, and to Jason Bedrick and Rick Hess and lots of good national folks, we're getting a lot of national attention for this. We're not hearing from other municipalities reaching out, but the reason we stepped away from running day-to-day is to really focus on growing market share and growing a movement for this new kind of, of partnership microschooling. And we're having lots of pretty compelling conversations that, that I really think, uh, whether it's in the school choice friendly states, some other arrangements here. The thing that really excites me is being able to leverage this with the employer-employee relationship that really provides so much of what educators crave in terms of, of buy-in. So that's still in the gestating phases, but we are going to see it wouldn't surprise me at the end of the day if the market share for microschooling and partnership microschooling ends up with something like a like a 10% market share before all is said and done. But we're still very you know, we're still in the early comfort building stages of it.
0: And you're looking to not just talk to other municipalities. You're talking about any number of different groups starting schools like this, or or are you trying to sort of copy what you're doing there, working with a municipality, their facilities, their funding, et cetera?
1: It's a great recipe for the municipality that's forward focused within a large county school district that feels like it's been underserved for a long time it's such a good answer in those cases it's a great one for family friendly employers it's a model that can work like we're talking to like a law enforcement association it's a tough time to be a, a family in those arrangements so um and some other different professional associations so i'm not sure where it's gonna it's gonna take where we're a market based group and this is market-based reform so we'll see but we're having lots of compelling conversations. And I'm quite confident that at this time next year, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of a constellation of different partnership microschools in different settings.
0: You started to answer the question I I like to end with frequently, which is sort of as you look into the future, we just heard what you think from one year, but maybe if you were to look out five years or 10 years, both for SNUMA itself and for this movement that you're trying to build, what do you see? And maybe there's, you know, now that we've done all this like a uh, you know pandemic modeling and stuff we're now you're seeing what's like the low what's the middle what's the high but i would just love to know so yeah what's your most optimistic case but w- what do you see in five years ten years
1: well i think there's so many other ways that again we really want to serve lower income families that, that can't just hire a teacher in their in their home but i think that uh, mike some of what you've written about i think there's so much potential for Families in this watershed moment to really rethink the fundamental relationships that they've had with the institutions to provide their learning needs. I think that social impact bonds nationally are a very underutilized resource for K-12 education. And there would be a natural for this, particularly in some of the states. I think Alaska, Idaho, Maine, Utah, have laws on the books that would be natural to fit. And And there's federal dollars behind that as well. I think library systems are in a great position to do this. There's enough great forward-thinking municipal leaders right now that I think can get stuff like this done. I don't know if 10% market share is a permanent one. I don't know if microschooling families identify with you know are permanent microschooling families the way that Catholic school families or homeschoolers identify. It might be more temporary than that. It might be for a couple of years while you get caught up, or if you like, we've got a kid that's an active competitive rodeo kid or you have a bullying problem or you don't like your kid's fourth grade teacher. Like there's lots of ways it can be a market share that's always there for people to come into and out of and move back and forth and hopefully move back in better shape than the kids that they're going back into their public school class if that's where they end up.
2: And I think too, just talking about the growth of of micro schooling as parents become more familiar with the concept, it's something that we're really hearing from a lot of families right now too, asking what's available for my child. Where can I go to find something like this? So it's really just taken off with families as well. And there's definitely a need and demand for micro schools throughout.
0: Well, Ashley Campbell and Don Seufer, thanks so much for joining today's episode of Cool Schools. Total pleasure. That was great. I really enjoyed that conversation with Don and Ashley, hearing about their experiences, the incredible stuff that was done for students in North Las Vegas who, you know, even before the pandemic, were not being served particularly well, in many cases were not being served well by the traditional schooling system, and particularly true during the pandemic. So I think it's really wonderful what they decided to put together. And it's cool that it's gonna live on after the pandemic. You know, there's a big discussion in education world and work world and kind of everything. What do we want to learn from the pandemic? What are the things that were good that we want to take away? What are the sort of bad things that the pandemic brought to light, maybe in just starker contrast that we think really needs to go away? And so the stuff that SNUMA learned is great. And I hope that they will have the opportunity to share that with municipalities, with philanthropists, with educational entrepreneurs around the country, because I think more SNUMAs is a good thing. As always, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Ed Choice Chats is not just cool schools, it's also. Our monthly tracker polling updates, so you can have your finger on the pulse of American opinion about education. It's also our updates from the states, so you can have your finger on the pulse of school choice politics across the country. It's all of our cool interviews that we have with folks, whether that's my colleague Drew Cat interviewing researchers, whether it's my colleague Jason Bedrick and his kind of big ideas podcast. But anyway, lots of great content on this podcast channel. So please like and subscribe share it with your friends and neighbors and check out our new website we in the last couple of months have redone our website www.edchoice.org check it out super user-friendly lots of great information that's on there whether you're interested in sort of research like i am whether you're interested into the politics parent organizing anything all of those resources are available on our website thanks for joining us today and I really look forward to sharing another cool school with you on another edition of EdChoice Chats.